Here we are. Hi, everybody. Another day. Another podcast. Another interview. Oh. With who? Selena Kopic. Yes, she's a stand-up. She's a published author. She's a blogger. She's a storyteller. She's blonde. That's right. Uh, her new stand-up album just came out. It's called Seen Better Days. Um, you can find her on selenakopic.com, but we're going to talk to her about a lot of shit. So stay tuned. It's really fun and funny. Yeah, it's fun and funny. Fun and funny. Yeah. Where are you going to go? Yeah. What else are you doing? <laughs> I love you. I, I love you. I, your album is out. Okay, we'll just like, we're going to do an intro. We'll cut this out. But like, we're going to do a proper yeah. interview before this or whatever. But um, but let's yes. talk about, okay, so you've been a stand-up for 12 years at least. I think I'm lowballing it. No, it's usually I say 10 just so I don't okay. sound as sad. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's more like, I would say 12, actually, maybe even pushing 13, I think. But I uh-huh. hate to even do the math. Yeah. So where did you come from? Where did you start? Yes. Well, I started doing stand-up in Boston, uh, which is where I grew up in the Boston suburbs. Mm -hmm. And I came to stand-up through improv, kind of. Mm -hmm. Um, So I did improv in college. I did short form, you know, like everybody else. Clap. Um, Comedy, sports. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. and and that was fun. And my improv group was really fun. And then after college, I moved to Chicago because my sister mm-hmm. Laurel was living there. And Laurel, mm-hmm. as you know, is also a yeah, comedian. She's a comedian on the West Coast where we are. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I know doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she was at I.O., and, um, you know, encouraged me to take classes there and really plug in there. So I spent a ton of time at Improv Olympic IO um, and took some classes um, and just watched so many shows. I mean, like Baby Wants Candy, People of Earth, mm-hmm. like um, it was just, you know, I was just I was trying to sort of fit in over there. But I was also very depressed and very poor. Um, mm-hmm. So after like just under a year, I moved back to Boston. I moved back in with my parents. Um, and then, then plugged into the Boston improv scene and I was part of that for a few years and then sort of had a falling out with an improv theater. And it really pushed me to stand up in that way that like, you know, I mean, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, now I hate to say this, but like, I despise improv. I think it's, <laughs> that's right. I, we, yeah. we also came from improv. <laughs> yeah, we, we, exactly. <laughs> we came yeah. from yeah. and weathered the yeah. improv world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's such, because it's, you know, an art form that there are classes you can sign up for and there's a community. I mean, it's a much more accessible way to get into comedy Mm -hmm. than, you know, just sort of like start going to open mics and get your rape jokes ready, you know? Right. Um, So, so yeah, initially I was in improv, but you know, like I think so many people in improv who leave it and so many women, yeah, I got sick of, you know, a like guys initiating improv scenes in which you're the prostitute or the dummy mm-hmm. or the nagging mom, or also being a little bit physical on stage in a oh way that maybe wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never necessary. And, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Touch my improv body. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's called object work, but yeah, I don't need to be exactly. the object. Exactly. Exactly. Um, exactly. Uh, and, you know, And I feel like at the top of a lot of improv theaters and organizations, there's some like megalomaniac dude who loves holding auditions and running it. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, aging white guy. Yeah. It's like such a recurring theme. And, you know, I experienced that in Boston. The theater company is now defunct, which was pretty glorious. Um, Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, I just felt like uh, like I wasn't I wasn't being a fair sh- given a, a fair shake, and I was seen as this sort of difficult, loud woman. Um, and 
I don't know. And I kind of started dipping my toe into stand up and I just loved, I was like, God, in stand up, it's just me. I fail, I succeed or I fail on my own. Mm-hmm. I can write my own material. No one touches me on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I just, it really felt, you know, it was one of those things where I felt like, oh gosh, I wasted so many years on improv, but I do think that that detour led me to stand up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like it's a gateway comedy. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly so happy that that happened to you. And even like, um, like when I would talk to Emily Maya Mills about it, who was like trying desperately mm-hmm. to get on a UCB Herald team mm-hmm. for like, you know, so much of her career. And she's, and I'm like, I'm happy you didn't because you're yeah. great. You know, like, thank God, like this stuff. Kind exactly. Of happened, yeah. Really. Exactly. I mean, same with like Broad City, you know, yeah. I mean, like Abby and Alana probably wouldn't have been gr- like come up with their own thing if they hadn't just been like, oh, yeah, I think the system serve us. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, and let's um, talk a little bit about your background too, because I think that informs your comedy so much. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, well, I might keep this pretty light only sure. because, you know, family stuff. But um, We can always cut it out, too, if you... Yeah. You're not um, but, yeah, grew up in the suburbs of Boston. And, um, and I mean, I think my family background is fascinating, and I love it. Um, and, you know, I, I hope my family never feels misunderstood by it. But, mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, it's, you know, my parents are very different, which I think informs my comedy and my dating style. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my own detriment. Um, <laughs> but... But yeah, you know, my um, my mom, growing up, my mom is a public school teacher uh, and, you know, hustled so hard. I really admire her. Uh, she grew up in New York City um, and a little bit in Connecticut and New Jersey, depending on if her mom was in a Broadway show at the time. Um, wow. But so... She is, uh, I mean, I, she, I, she's so fascinating. Her, you know, she sort of, wa- she's, it grew up was- waspy. Um, and although I know she doesn't love that being used, so sort of grew up Upper East Side, kind of, um, you know, her family's in the social register. Her dad was best friends with Herbert Hoover, the former president. What? I mean, like, mm. yeah, like so bonkers. Um, Amazing. I know. And she went to a Swiss boarding school and then, you know, an all girls yeah. school. Yeah. Like, I mean, so remarkable. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's so fascinating. Um, and she's just really got all of that kind of classic manners and attention to, you know, um, just sort of fashion and like just, I mean, she's just such a classy woman um, mm-hmm. and just so sort of beautifully put together. Oh, and must yeah. be nice. Oh, yeah. I know. <laughs> What's that like? <laughs> <laughs> and then um, my dad grew up in Missouri and Arkansas, uh, you know, a much more sort of rural upbringing um, and left there to go to Harvard Law School after he went to college in Springfield, Missouri. And so my parents met in Harvard uh, at sort of in Harvard Square. My mom was living there. My dad was at Harvard Law. Um and, you know, from two very different backgrounds, my father is very conservative Republican um, and, you know, grew up Southern Baptist. And my mom is very liberal Democrat. Um, and so, yeah, like in my in my childhood, it was really fascinating. Like they would, you know, debate politics at the kitchen table over dinner. And, you know, you just hear two sides of every story. And really, like, you know, I joke around now, it's left me completely unable to make decisions. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um but I do, you know, I mean, I, I it was just neat when I was a kid, you know, going to um, Springfield, Missouri to m- m- visit with my grandmother and going to Arkansas to see Papa. Uh, his trailer was out in the mm. woods. I mean, Rebecca knows. 3, 000. 25, 000. 
Why do I keep saying yeah. thousands? I, I think it's twenty five hundred Coffin okay. Lane, but um, <laughs> but yeah, he he got because he was the only trailer at the end of his dirt road. He got to pick the name of his street, which I think is so wait. Cool. What's the name of the the street? Um, Coffin Road is which uh, is his last name. Yeah, it's her family it's name. Like twenty five hundred, as if there's twenty five hundred oh, yeah. different. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I know, yeah. 2500. <laughs> it was Copic Road or Copic Lane. I can never remember. I don't know. But, uh, oh, so my God. Yeah, Your I mean, second album, for I, sure. Yes. I know, yeah. Yeah, Rebecca was really pushing that to be my album title. And I was like, I think it's kind of an inside joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, awesome. Amazing. But yeah, you know, it was so, and you know, we used to go catfish. We would go catfish fishing in um, my dad's great uncle's catfish farm, which is basically just a pond in his backyard and you can dump catfish in it. Like it's all, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> that's like a, it was, that's a bachelor date, you know? Yes. I know, I know. But they also have you peeing in the woods in a mug or something before that. Yeah, that's right. Oh my yes. God. We're talking about bachelor too. Holy shit. Oh, I know. Oh my God. Tia. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> but that's a lot of what your comedy does. I think it traverses a lot of different like class, especially um, from like high culture, low culture, your New York mm-hmm. Times vows accounts, um, which are hilarious and have gotten a lot of recognition uh, kind of parodying high culture and, and marriage culture. And then like your bachelor mm-hmm. recaps, you know, mm-hmm. and all the standing Thank in between. You. Thank you. Yeah, I do feel like I've got some good high-low that um, – and I think it – you know, I, th- I joke around that it's sort of why I think I can fit in in a lot of worlds and yet none um, – mm-hmm is, you know, I mean, I used to live in my Uncle Jimmy's apartment my first two years in New York, so 06 to 08. Um, and he has a, he had a beautiful five-bedroom mansion on the Upper East Side. Oh, my That was God. like, a, yeah, it was like a piada terre. He didn't even live there. He lived in Greenwich. <laughs> Uncle Jimmy. Um, <laughs> I love you. It was like, it was so amazing. And he's such a generous guy. I mean, just so lovely. But, you know, he threw a lot of political fundraisers and cocktail parties there. And, and you know, his friends are all perfectly nice, but often I would meet people who were very, you know, plugged in, you know, socialites from the Upper East Side. And, you know, and they would sort of assume that I was this poor little ragamuffin because I was, you know, a knee, his niece, niece living in the apartment uh, and looking for a job and doing stand up. And then they would learn that I'd gone to Hamilton College and that, you know, my mom was Jimmy's sister and that, mm-hmm. you know, what, like she was very plugged in. And you weren't like an, then, orphan, an orphan girl exactly. that your uncle like pitied. <laughs> like, exactly. Oh, did yeah, she yeah. Some like, soup? Oh, wait, wait. Okay. Hold on. Oh, you went to Hamilton. Okay. <laughs> you know, and it's just so funny because it's like, well, yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I feel like, you know, both communities embrace me somewhat, but also reject me somewhat. You know? Yeah. Kind of all encapsulating and profoundly lonely. Maybe. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's very like Mariah Carey, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Amazing. So, so you moved to New York after Boston or you went Boston. Sorry. You went to college, Hamilton, yeah, so, Chicago, yeah. Hamilton, Chicago, a year back at my parents, pulling myself out of Hell a crippling yeah. depression. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> and probably do that too, yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> Seriously. Oof. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and then South Boston for a few years with my best friend, Suzanne, my childhood mm-hmm. best friend. Um, and that's so, so Boston's where I got into stand up at the comedy studio with Rick Jenkins, um, which, you know, is really where. Uh, it was just such a wonderful time. Um, yeah. And then New York. So I moved to New York in 06 and 
you know, and kind of needed to get my ducks in a row. I work in publishing during the day. And, um, and I think when I first got to New York, I don't think I understood kind of how hard you need to hit it, you know? And Mm -hmm. so, you know, for as much as I'm like, yeah, I've been doing stand up like 10 to 12 years. I feel like I really got it and started like grinding hard enough in New York in like 08 or 09, honestly. Um, so yeah, then like ran a show at Luca Lounge on Avenue B, this venue that was closed by the Department of Health. Oh, <laughs> yeah, fancy. real New York story. <laughs> yeah, truly. Um, yeah, and, and you know, took sketch and storytelling. So I was in a sketch group for a little while and then um, also kind of plugged into the storytelling community. And um, and yeah, through, you know, and through it all doing these silly recaps on my blog of The Bachelor, mm-hmm. which eventually Don't got ever me a book call deal. a Bachelor recap silly. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> Thank you. I should live my truth. It's so good. <laughs> it's so good. So good. <laughs> yeah, everybody watch it. It's uh, selenacopic.com and then you can go to The Bachelor mm-hmm. recaps, right? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, totally. Exactly. It's all through mm-hmm. my website, selenacopic.com and I can see all your hits and please leave comments if you like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it led to your book deal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah let's talk about your book. The yeah. New Rules for Blondes. Yes. Yeah. The New Rules for Blondes published by It Books, which is an imprint of HarperCollins that went under. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I mean, God, I like I sometimes I'm just so glad that like it all feels like kind of a joke to me because I think that like if you take it all seriously, like there are going to be a lot of licks. And Mm -hmm. if you take it too seriously, you're just going to break your own heart. You know, like that is um, so true. That's true. But you've also like to give yourself credit to you've accomplished more than like, this is like, like, your jokes are like people's dreams. Like you realized, (laughs) you know, it's like you've already done more than like so many people do in their lifetime. That is very true. (laughs) So anyway. And it's weird too. Cause I think, you know, I, I do think there's a lot of value in like, goal setting and planning and setting intentions. But I think that, you know, sometimes random stuff falls in your lap as a result of just sort of doing what you enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know when people get too wrapped up in like, you know, if you don't believe it, you won't receive it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, I didn't believe I'd get a book deal, nor did I like haul it. (laughs) Like, you know, I just enjoyed writing recaps of the bachelor. Yeah. Um, Like we do. And exactly. You know, I think just do what you love doing. And then often something will come of it that's bigger. And if not, you're doing what you love doing and that's the reward, you know? Yeah, um, right. But yes. Yeah, so the, uh, it was really sort of very sweet and interesting, but um, yeah, I, I was writing recaps of the bachelor, just silly, fun stuff. And then um, my good friend from college, who was a sorority sister of mine was a literary agent in New York. Um, she's since retired from that biz and her, she and her friend were out for drinks and her friend was an editor at Harper Collins for it books. Um, And they were both blonde and sort of brainstorming books. And so this editor was like, you know, I know that within my list, like, I do a lot of like celebrity books. I do a lot of humor books, you know, funny stuff. What about like a book about being blonde? Something like the new rules for blondes, just like about life as a blonde, some information, some pop culture, whatever. Um, So my sweet friend Lizzie was like, you know, uh, my good friend Selena is really obsessed with her hair and it's great. Um, And, you know, and it's just sort of funny and writes a lot and has kind of a funny way of writing. So like, go check out her blog. So this sweet, sweet editor read my blog and just liked my style. Um, So took me out for drinks and was like, hey, here's what I'm thinking. Like she kind of set the parameters of what the book would be. uh, And I was like, sure, let's rock. So I, you know, cranked on a proposal. So then Lizzie like signed me as a client. Mm -hmm. I wrote a proposal. I wrote three different versions of the proposal, each of which was 70 70 to 80 pages. Wow. Yeah. Uh, And, you know, working full time the whole time. um, Yeah. 
Yeah. And so, so the proposal part of it took uh, like almost two years. I mean, because I would do a full proposal, send it to Lizzie. She would look it over. We would have a meeting and she'd be like, okay, I think we need to go in a different direction somewhat. I mean, you know, it took a while for me to figure out what it was. Um, and you know, I get that. Um, so finally on the third proposal, we got it a little, like it was sort of ready to show to Harper Collins. So Lizzie sent it over, um, you know, Stephanie loved it or liked it enough, uh, and like presented it to her sort of, you know, crew. Um, they liked it enough, but they wanted to see another chapter. So then I had like five days to write another chapter, um, oh, which I know in like working full time. And I remember I had a couple oh gigs that week and I was just like freaking out. <laughs> and you're not um, getting paid for any of this work either. This oh, is exactly, all to potentially get work. Oh God. Yes, yeah. exactly. I know. I mean, and that's, yeah, it's just, it's so crazy. And, you know, with book writing, you are in this topic for so long that by the mm-hmm. end of it, like by the end of it, like everyone's like, why don't you do more, more material about like blonde jokes? And I was like, I am so sick of them. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, like you just don't even want to touch that content with a 10 foot pole. Um, so finally they liked that additional chapter and they felt like, okay, this is a go. So, you know, the, the, the deal gets officially signed. It's listed in, you know, publisher's marketplace or whatever. And the editor who bought it literally quit like the next day. No. Yeah. And, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, HarperCollins honored the contract and, you know, Stephanie made sure that I was in good hands. But, you know, when the editor who originally bought it isn't there to champion it, it's mm-hmm. just like you feel like, oh, hey, hey, everybody, yeah. uh, am I allowed at the party? Right, you know, yeah. right. It's like, hold it um, in front of you. Yeah. And and it, it took them about six months to find a new editor for it. So uh, it just delayed everything. And and it was this strange thing because I don't ever want to seem ungrateful. Like, oh, my mm-hmm. God, I got a book deal and I made a couple grand off of it. Um, but this was never my dream, you know, yeah. like and you hate to sound like some brat who like got someone else's dream. But I, you know, I mean, I'm a stand-up. I'm a storyteller. And thankfully, I was able to wedge in a lot of stories into the book, um, mostly because my new editor was really sweet. And it was like one of her first books as an editor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I felt like I was able to just be like, let's put this Guns N' Roses story in. Uh, Trust me, it applies to blondeness somehow, you know. (laughs) Um, But... But yeah, you know, I mean, it all worked out okay, but I do think sometimes I look back on how long the proposal took, and then, you know, you have eight months to write the actual book, and then you have a legal edit, and then you have a copy edit, and then you have notes, and you do a full, like, a pretty major rewrite, um, like, and then you do the press push and all of it. It was really exciting, but I do feel like it took my eye off the ball of stand-up a little bit, you know, like just at the moment when I think I would have been like getting a little more buzz and like, I'd really found my voice finally. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, it was sort of a strange thing. I mean, it was really interesting, but you know, frustrating in some ways that I'm not ashamed to talk about, which was like, you know, Harper Collins, the, the press aspect of it, the publicity was a joke. And I know that that's, uh, you know, I know a first time author, like they're not going to put their best publicist on the thing and, you know, Mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, it was sort of frustrating to feel like, like I, uh, I don't know. I thought that either Harper Collins would open more doors by just the name Harper Collins, or right. that mm-hmm. Harper Collins would truly try to help me more. And yeah, you know, I they mean, really didn't. When when you sign a book deal, I, why why wouldn't they put 
Yeah. Why wouldn't you assume they would put resources behind you yeah. as opposed to exactly. just pay you for this book and then suddenly exactly like, great okay bye yeah, yeah exactly I was Why like don't do you well? want to make money <laughs> yeah. too yeah yeah it was so strange so and I mean also it came out in 2013 and it's sort of a frivolous book about you know hair and funny stories I mean it's a beach read I know I didn't write the great American novel like mm-hmm. I know who I am you know I know what I'm doing um and so it's sort of funny because I felt like the whole experience of it just reminded me so much of me you know just like <laughs> Just sort of like feeling like an, a little bit of an interloper, not really being taken seriously, you know, just even though you are, you know, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Right. It was it was a strange phenomenon where I just I I had a, a lot of like kind of imposter syndrome about the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, there were a couple sort of weird like times where people kind of insulted it. And I was just like. Oh my god! I didn't even ask for yeah. this. You know, like you're like. Also, I still was, wrote a fucking book. Yeah, where's exactly. your book? <laughs> Jesus. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe I was at a wedding one time, and there were a lot of people who were authors and lit agents and editors there. And I was talking to this guy, um, you know, and he asked me sort of a question about how I knew someone, uh, and you know, I so I was like, oh yeah, I'm. Um, I was like, you know, I uh, I wrote. It's a long story, but anyway, I was just like, um, yeah, I, I wrote a book uh, that came out last year. And he goes, oh, and then he does sort of a weird mimicking of someone on a keyboard, but almost looking like a silly monkey. He goes, oh, you're a writer, Jesus fucking what? Christ. Yeah. And I was like, wow. yeah, I am. And then he's like, oh yeah, what do you write? I was like, well, my oh, first my book God. was published by Harper Collins last year, yeah. and that really made him snap too. But I was just like. Fuck, Fuck you. you. Like, Holy shit. Yeah. I just couldn't believe. I was like, how dare you insult me? Like, you don't even yeah. know me. Yeah. And I already feel like I'm an imposter. I don't need you telling me, you know, like. Yeah, like dumb uh, random loser at a wedding mm-hmm, telling absolutely. me. Like, yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah, it was off. so bonkers. So, oh I mean, I got to say, like, after, you know, there's a certain amount of, like, press you're sort of obligated to do or to try and do or to t- act like you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um and once that period was over, I was just so relieved. Like, and now when people ask about it, I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, but I'm so much more proud of, and I know Rebecca, I, I feel like you and I have talked about this over many glasses of wine before, mm-hmm. but you know, I'm just so much more proud of like my album and having full creative control of that. Yes. Like every joke I did on my album is a joke that I love. Every story I tell is because I wanted to tell it. Like mm-hmm. I didn't bother to get notes from anyone because I don't want them. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, but that's like so isn't... like like a distilled ver. Like we never want to put out like a distilled version of ourselves, right? Too. Mm-hmm. And that's what I feel like. That's what everyone's trying to make happen to mm-hmm. like make it more marketable. Like well, who the fuck knows mm-hmm. why? Um, but yeah. let's but let's talk about stand up in New York and and how you think it's changed since you started there. Um, specifically, the sexism too. Like if you think it's gotten better or worse or what have you. And then we'll talk about your yes. Album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's changed so much. I mean, like, I mean, when I moved here in '06, granted, I wasn't like hitting it hard, and it took me a while to kind of find my way. But um, but you and, know, and just to just for for the folks at home, when you say hitting it hard, what do you what do you think hitting it hard is as opposed to what you were doing when you first started out? Mm-hmm. Yes, good call. Um, I feel like I often speak in weird euphemisms that don't necessarily you know like no just mean. just like because I feel the same way when I first moved to LA and was mm-hmm. trying to do comedy. I was 
I thought I was hitting it hard, but I yeah, wasn't. Yeah, I we're was just getting drunk at the I.O. Bar. Exactly. I'm like, I'm at a theater. <laughs> what else do you want? Yeah, exactly. We're honest. That's how I Lindsay know. and I met. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah. When, I mean, when I left Boston, when I first got to New York, same thing. I thought I was like, oh, this is it. You know, I thought that, you know, you perform stand up maybe once every three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe you go to a mic once every two uh, and ta-da, that's doing comedy, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, once, then once I started running a show in New York, I mean, so I was running a weekly show. So it was mm-hmm. like, okay, every single week book people get a fresh 10 minutes if you can, because you've got the stage time. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and then ideally, especially at that age to be getting up every night if possible. Yeah. Um, if not two or three times a night, I mean, which I wasn't always doing that, but I just became aware, oh, that's the pace. Right. That is yeah. the that's pace what people are have, doing, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And because I remember when I first moved here saying to a friend who'd moved from Boston also, I was like, what if we pick a week and you and I like just try to really hustle that one week and we'll go, we'll do mics or shows every single night. Um, and I remember thinking like, I know it seems crazy, but just do it one week, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and then I remember it must've been like 20, uh, maybe 2010. I just at a certain point when I started having weeks where I'd be booked three and four nights in a row. And, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this is how you got to be doing it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and like, oh, if you have a nine o'clock show, well, there's a mic nearby at seven. So go do that. You know, like, and then, yeah. you know, then you sort of plug in more with the community and you're like, oh, okay. Like, you know, who runs the mics, you know, what's nearby, you know, right. that yeah. if this show gets canceled, everyone goes to hang out at this show, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, once I, so when I first got to New York, you know, I was sort of out of it. Um, and, it, it was just hard to sort of plug into the community because this was like pre, you know, was, Oh, uh-oh. not, there wasn't as much of an organized way to do things. There weren't Facebook groups, you know? So yeah, even if you did meet someone in comedy and then you became their MySpace friend or their Facebook friend, like, mm-hmm. okay, what next? You right. know I mean? Um, so, so I found it specifically hard to, you know, meet other women in comedy. And, you know, it is why Katie Kampa and I started uh, NYC Lady Comics, yes. which was a Facebook group that was for female comedians to sort of find and know each other in, in New York. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, yeah, like, that was so hard. And it was just such a different scene. Like, there wasn't Twitter. Mm-hmm. You know, there was... There wasn't, there weren't as many ways to sort of organically get your stuff out there on your own, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean... I found it to be a very intimidating and scary place probably for everyone, but I would think more so for women. You know, I, I share this story, you know, occasionally, but like one of my first open mics I ever did in New York was at, I believe it was called the Boston comedy club. It's now closed, but it's by, it's sort of near the cellar. It was like around the corner. Um, and you know, and this was back when like there was a, a, a website, bad Slava, where you'd mm-hmm. look up open mics, yeah. um, and, you know, yeah. yeah. And it was like a list of open mics, you know, of assorted qualities, but you had no way of knowing. Um, and so I went to an open mic at this place and I was the only woman there. And, you know, I go in, put my name in the bucket, whatever, pay my five bucks or whatever it was, you know, go sit down, listen to the mic. And, um, at one point towards the end, you know, I still haven't gone up yet. The host makes a joke that they should lock the door and everyone, every guy there should have his way with me. So funny. funny? That's so funny. Jesus Christ. I know. And I was like, I'm, yeah, I was like, I'm here trying to hustle. I'm here just trying to work too, you know? Um, And I remember I got up after that and I was just like, God, I mean, I just feel like I can't tell a good joke now, you know? I mean, yeah. Because all Um, these, 
these audience members are thinking are, well, let's lock the door and have our way yeah. with her. Like exactly. suddenly you yeah. become a sex object instead of exactly. a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. It was so disheartening. And, and, you know, I feel like early on there was just a lot more of that type of thing or, you know, always being assumed to be the comedian's girlfriend or, you know, yeah. I mean, I remember at cabin one time, uh, probably in like, Oh, nine or something. Like I didn't do great. And cabin was like the old Thursday night, like best show, best hang. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and you know, it was written by <clears throat> Sean Patton and like Chesley Calloway. And then Rebecca Trent was booking too. Um, and, and yeah, I remember a guy came up to me after, you know, out front, we we're smoking cigarettes and he's like, oh, you know, he's like, sorry, it wasn't a great step. But, you know, I mean, I just, I just don't think women are funny. So, you know, don't feel too bad about it. Cool. And I'm just like, oh, okay. You're yeah. trying to, is this how you comfort me? Yeah. Like, like, what? what are you, yeah. What are you trying to do? Also yeah. super original, bro. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I know. Don't worry. And, <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, take it from me, a rando on the street. It'll yeah. be okay. You know, like what? Oh and God. it's too bad because I feel like when you're young and insecure and not very good is when you get all of these negative messages, you yeah. know, like if I got these now, I'd be like, eat shit, buddy. Like, I don't give yeah. a fuck, right. you know, but, but like when you're least equipped to handle them is when you truly get them. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I did, I loved when I started running my own show, I used to run the show with Julia Rossi and Heidi Edsel, who's a storyteller. Um, and that was a really fun way to try to like, equalize it. And then I think I became more aware of like, oh, women doing it for themselves. You know, right. I mean, like Carolyn Castilla used to run Chicks and Giggles, which was this super cool show at this super cool venue um, in Alphabet City. And, you know, I remember before I moved to New York, I read about it in like Bust Magazine. And I was like, oh, oh my God, my dream is to get booked on Chicks and Giggles. And I don't know how, I don't even know who runs it. I don't know who these people are, but I want to get booked on it when I move to New York. And I remember when like, she saw me perform and really liked me. She, she's like, I want to book you on my show. I'm like, okay, cool. So she gave me her email address. I followed up with her and she's like, yeah, it's called Chicks and Giggles. Aww. And I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> oh, I yeah, so, you know, like, yeah, there were some like magical moments like that where, you know, things would happen. But, but I do think that over the years, there's been such a, I think among most people, an increased awareness of booking diversity, you know, mm-hmm. like, because, and I think that it's, you know, I obviously I think there can be improvements made still, but I think that like, you know, when I first moved to New York, it wasn't even a thought like mm-hmm. there wasn't any, you know, there was not this cultural conversation about representation and about, you know, like uh, being mindful of that kind of thing. And, you know, I it was just much more stratified of like urban rooms and gay rooms and, mm-hmm. you know, right. and normal rooms, which were straight white guys, you know. Yeah. Um, and I remember Leah Doobie taught me a lot about that, like. I remember like I had her booked on a show and another gay guy. And then I was like, why don't we do an all gay lineup? And Leah Doobie, bless her heart. She does comedy in LA now. Mm-hmm. Um, she was like, don't lump us all together. Don't put me in a gay ghetto. Yeah. And wow. yeah. And she was like, just have a gay person or two on your show. Like anybody else. Yeah. And it really like, I was young and dumb and it's, I was like, wow, you're right. You yeah. know, like cut it. Like it doesn't need to be some theme show because one person is gay. Oh wait, we'll do it all gay night. No, they're on shows that are all gay all the freaking time. Right. You know? Yeah. Just put them on a lineup or it's not, there's no weird dumb title to it, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. I think we're still fighting that with women too. Mm-hmm. God. It's like the little black dress show. Oh. Right. I know. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Um, but you just recorded an album last year mm-hmm. and it just came out. Uh, yeah. In the last year. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? 
Yes. Yeah. It was such a wonderful experience. And sweet, sweet Rebecca was at both tapings. Front row. (laughs) Like your mom. (laughs) (laughs) Truly. Um, But it was so fun. It's I recorded it with um, Shanali Bomek and Jason Lamb are these brilliant musicians and sort of culturistas and uh, do-it-yourself artists like they're just wonderful people and they run their own record label called little lamb recordings um and they produced katina correa's album and greg johnson's album um and so yeah i approached them about producing mine because you know it's it's so funny i feel like i you always wonder like i just feel like for guys often at the you know the pacing and the opportunities they get are like there's a very specific pacing and it seems like every guy, most guys tend to climb that ladder in that pace. And right. I feel like for women, you're just never climbing the ladder at that pace. Like, yeah. you know, I often look at lists for certain specials and presents and whatever. And it's right after a woman needs this thing. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's once she's so big, it's great that she got it, but she doesn't really need it. Whereas for a guy, it's pulling you up. And so, yeah, with the album thing, I don't know why I've never you know, like I've been doing 45 minutes to an hour for a few years now, but I'd never thought like, Hey, Selena, it's your turn. Go for it. You can do it. You know? Um, and it really was helpful to know Shanali and to be like, okay, I don't understand technology. I have a lot of imposter syndrome, but wait, my friend has a record label and how hard could this be? I'll just do the 45 minutes to an hour that I do on the road. And it's an album, you know, like, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> yeah, so it was a, a fair amount of me talking myself into being able to do it. And Shanali was just so wonderful and enthusiastic. And then Jason plugged right in. Um, so yeah, we recorded it in July um, at the duplex in the West village. And the duplex is just wonderful. I mean, they're so great to artists and, you know, you monitor your own ticket sales. And um, I had a friend do the flyer and, you know, I did two shows in a row and had Chelsea White host and George Gordon feature, mm-hmm. and they Chelsea were both White, just fantastic. Oh. Was al- is also on the podcast, yeah. So I think she might be. She's going to be two or three before you. Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Uh-huh. Oh, she's so great. Yeah, I've known her so for funny. years. Yeah, she's so wonderful. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so it was just a lot of fun, and I was able to do like so much of my favorite stuff, um, and you know, just nice like. You know, there's a lot of old closers that you just don't even tell anymore. And it's like, oh, I just want to kind of memorialize those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, my, my comedy is very high energy and some of my jokes are pretty long. And, you know, sometimes I think about some of those old closers and I'm like, I'm just exhausted even <laughs> thinking about it, you know? So it was nice to be like, okay, my joke about a DJ who's a statistician, like I have that taped, mm-hmm. I have that kind of locked in, um, and I hired, yeah, so we recorded in July, uh, and then I really kind of just let myself chill and maybe too much, because then I was like, oh, wait, I still got to listen to this, you know? So um, then we did the sort of audio editing and released it in December, uh, and I hired a wonderful publicist, uh, Shark Party Media. They are fantastic, all ladies, lady run, and they mm. do comedy and music, um, and they did a wonderful job. So I was really you know, it was just felt like 180 degrees different from my book. Like mm-hmm. I was so proud of the product. The product felt so current to who I am right now. I was so happy with the press that I got. Um, and I felt just very understood, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is so nice because I think, I mean, I think in life there's nothing worse than feeling misunderstood, but I think, 
you know, with my book, like I just felt like oftentimes I felt profoundly misunderstood and it's really miserable. Yeah, you know? yeah absolutely. So was it uh, recording or the whole process of really uh, the album, was it easier than you thought it would be harder? Like, can you reflect on that a little bit? I would say it was maybe easier. I mean, <coughs> sorry. Um, I mean, you know, uh, I was so impressed by when I decided to do an album. Originally, I was going to record it in April, and then the venue had a fire, so it got sort of pushed back. But, you know, originally when I, we locked in the date for late April, I just posted on Facebook. I was like, hey, I'm going to be recording an album, so I'd love to do time at your show. And just the generosity of the New York comedy community is so lovely. Like, so many people reached out to me about doing long sets on their shows and, mm, you know, being awesome. able to get yeah. stuff ready. Yeah, it was really nice. And like so many friends had great thoughts and advice. And, you know, like people who had done albums recently, like Jeff Zimmerman was really sweet about like stuff that he felt like he'd kind of, you know, done right or wrong and wisdom he was happy to pass on. And um, yeah, it was and people were just so fired up for me. I mean, I think it's funny because I think that improv likes to bang the drum of being like friendly and inclusive. Um, <laughs> but but in reality, I feel like stand up is like. I don't know. I find it to be so genuinely like for the most part, lovely, supportive people because everyone knows like everyone's just doing it. Like no one is sort of a threat to anyone else because everyone has their own stage persona, their own Mm -hmm. way of doing it, their own style. Um, So I was really, you know, I, I performed a ton leading up to the intended recording and then also the actual recording just to kind of get those old closures back on their feet. And it definitely felt like a sprint. Like I felt like June and July just felt like a sprint. Um, and you know, and I kind of, you know, it's just one of those things. It's sort of like the holiday time when you're just like buckle in, you've got to ride this ride. Right. And then on the other side you can relax, but for right now, no relaxation allowed, you know? Um, and you know, and that's a okay by me. I can, uh, uh, Oh, did I lose you? Are you there? Oh no, we're here. Can you hear us? Okay. Yes. Oh, you know okay. what? I think this guy who's supposed to be on my date was texting me or something. Oh, <laughs> what did he say? <laughs> so many boys. I know. <laughs> oh, God. Um, what did he um, say, though? <laughs> no, no, wait, what's going on? Wait, hold on. Can I? Let me just, for one minute, I'm going <laughs> to see if I can. Uh, no, I can't. Okay. I, I guess he didn't. Um, oh. But wait. Okay, it's seven o'clock right now. Uh-huh. Okay, that should be. Yeah, we're wrapping up. About, we're wrapping up. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah. yeah we're I good. I figure like ten more minutes max. Is that okay? Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. We have like one more question yeah. for you, which is okay. a question we ask everybody. Everybody. We do the honors. Ooh, I love those. I will totally do the honors. Um. So, Selena, like Rebecca said, we ask everybody this, mm-hmm. and it I is, it. um, what advice would you give young women coming up? <sighs> as comedians and just as young women in this crazy world we're living in right now? Yes. Oh my gosh. First off, I love this question. Thank you so much, Lindsay and Rebecca. Um, and oh, I, I just they, I just did an um, interview with a Women in Comedy Festival sort of uh, blog and they asked the same question. And so I've been like noodling on this and uh, God, there's so many important things. So it, in an effort to not say the exact same thing I said there, which was basically like, be friends with everyone. They're your friends. They're not your competition. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I will say this. I, and I, I just, I always go back to like quotations and things I've read places. I read and one of the, a truly like mind blowing interview, um, in, I believe it was in bust magazine with the woman who wrote the book that became the movie. Um, and God, I'm going to butcher this. So maybe if you guys can help me remember the name of the movie, then we can edit out this part where I'm being annoying. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, Marielle Heller directed it and it's about like a young girl who's sort of an adolescent and her mom's boyfriend. And it's, it was a car, it was a, um, it was drawn as a, you know, like a cartoon book, but then it became a live action movie. Oh. It came out like a year or two ago. Um, Let me see. Um, not like Funhouse or Persepolis. Those are the two. No. Yeah. If you if no. you're close to a computer and you Google like Marielle Heller director. Diary of a Teenage Girl. Yes, Diary okay. of a Teenage Girl. Yes. So Diary of a Teenage Girl. It was a um, yeah. It was like a cartoon book, and then they turned it into this live action um, film. And I have actually never even seen it, <laughs> but. The author of that original book, what is her name? Sorry. It is, oh, hold on. Uh, um, oh, she's also directing the new Mr. Rogers movie. Oh, well, Muriel Heller is. Yes. But the book. But who was the author of the Okay. Looking up. Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. We're getting to the bottom of this immediately. Right yes. Now. More this about this why. movie. Um, sorry, guys. The internet is brand new to me. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished We're Rumspringer. Um, <laughs> navigate the internet. Um, this is our really based on Phoebe Glockner. Glockner is the okay. is the writer of the book. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so this interview I read with Phoebe Glockner. This is why I'm terrible at telling stories because I'm like, okay, it's a movie. It takes place in a city in America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh-huh. But so I read this interview with Phoebe Glockner and it really, really struck me. Um, she talked about how like her advice to young girls was take yourself seriously. Yeah. And yeah. And like I it was, that. I remember reading that and it was such a kick in the teeth because it reminded me, I remember when I was in school, I was very silly. I was all over the place. I had no sense of boundaries. I, I thought I was so ugly. I really didn't like myself and I wanted everyone to like me. And I just was sort of trying to make jokes. And everyone thought, I think that a lot of people sort of thought I was dumb. And even though I was in high level classes, I just felt very misunderstood and I kind of didn't know what to do. And I remember talking to my, um, this, uh, AP world history teacher, Mr. Mr. William, like, I'm just very frustrated with, I think, sort of how everyone in the class treats me. I just feel like everyone thinks I'm dumb. Uh, and he sort of gave me this, like, tough love. He was just like, well, if you weren't kind of, you know, he was like, what's your role in that? Like, you're kind of always being silly and making jokes and not acting like this is serious. And maybe that's why people are treating you that way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and it was, like, so sort of startling. And, you know, and he also did the whole, like, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And, it was the first time I'd ever thought about like, just, you know, not necessarily shutting up, but like, I think the crux of it was take yourself seriously, Yeah, you know? And, and I just think I sort of never did. And I still think I sometimes don't. And, you know, I I don't think you need to be like pedantic and righteous. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, you know, I mean, don't go to an extreme, but I think as a young girl, 
often your interests and your reading materials and your culture is seen as sort of frivolous. Mm -hmm. And I think it's important to no, it's not. And you're a real person and your stuff matters and your bodily autonomy matters and whether or not you want to do this thing matters. And like, just, yeah, I think it's important to kind of just be on your own side and like be full of piss and vinegar. And if somebody doesn't like it, fuck them. Yeah. I just think we never, you know, we never teach girls how to fight and how to defend themselves. And granted, I think we've got to teach boys how to fucking be like functional and, you know, and respect society. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think we need to, you know, I always love, like, I just wish that more young girls felt like just this sense of like, I mean, and I say this sometimes, like everyone, whether or not, if you go into a room alone with a dude, whether or not you hook up with him, he's going to say you fucked him. So like, I don't know, they're all going to call you a slut anyway. So go down swinging, you know, like I, I, that sounds very dramatic, but no, that's yeah. true. Fucking fight you know, for your shit. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, yeah. and take yourself seriously. Know that you're rad and you're awesome. And if somebody doesn't like you, that's not a problem to be solved. Right. Yeah. Who cares? I Keep agree. on stepping, you know? Totally. Oh man. So great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been meaning to I saved that uh, issue of Boston I've been meaning to like just throw that uh, that interview up like on you know a cork board or something just so I look at it every Fuck day yeah, it's yeah. Like, it just struck me it's like so succinct just like take yourself seriously yeah you know? I fucking love that um, yeah well thank you so much for yeah the podcast uh, thank you guys so much I'm gonna text you later to see how the date went and, we'll, and I'm gonna yeah. text Rebecca to see how the date went we'll put it all on our Instagram <laughs> we'll tell everyone yeah. how the date well, went <laughs> well I will be tweeting it yeah <laughs> I know let's hope for the right reason yes <laughs> yes oh my god yes yes well yeah I gotta go uh, text this dude and see what kind of gun he's <laughs> yummy yeah, have fun <laughs> so great chatting with you I guys. know you too right. I'll talk to you later thanks Selena right, bye you. All right. Bye. Thanks, guys.